So I think it's really good to ask ourselves if things are coming from the external, from other people's opinions or the motivation to not hurt other people, does this match my feeling? Does this match what I believe? Does it feel right to me? Those are very important questions to ask ourselves. Welcome everybody to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Preble Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode on dealing with family dramas, standing up for yourself. And I know everybody can relate to what I'm going to talk about here. We all have family dramas. No family is completely healthy, right? There's always some dramas here and there with families because we're human beings. But it's great to be in a family where there's less of it. So in this episode, I introduce something that's a little different, a little different in the segment. I take a listener's question, and you will hear that question from the listener herself. I will give some insights in the way that I think about answering the question or perspectives for this person to contemplate their own decisions. In past podcasts, I told you about leaving a question, and the way to do that is to go to my website, heartsharecounseling.com, click on the podcast page and scroll down to the bottom. There will be a button for you to click and leave a question. I will then possibly air that question and talk about it and answer it on a future podcast. So I'll keep you in suspense of what that particular question was, but it is around some family dramas. And an added bonus is my wife, Ivana Rainbow, joins me in the second segment to talk about some of the early family dramas that we had with, uh, particularly with my family. And I talk about family expectations in some of the examples. And one I want to clarify and say is I have a family member, my sister, who has always been very, very supportive of my life and my decisions and actually has gone to bat for me and had to defend me <laughs> in some ways to family. Uh, but I just want to give a, a loving shout out to my sister Edie uh, for always being so supportive of my life and my decisions. And I know it hasn't been easy for you because some of those decisions have uh, been a little bit uh, challenging for some family members. So I love you, sweetie. Thank you so much. Before we get on to this segment, I do want to thank Sarah for her generous donation to the podcast this past week. If you are inclined to donate to the podcast that you feel that has been beneficial to you, uh, you can, again, go to my website, heartsharecounseling.com, click on support the podcast page, and you can leave a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. Any bit helps because it keeps the podcast going. 
it's a recurring expense, a monthly expense to put out this podcast in a professionally produced manner for you all. So thanks again. Okay, here we go. Family dramas, standing up for yourself. Let's talk about it. So we're going to start this episode off in a unique way. Uh, We are going to take a question from one of my listeners, and then I'm going to answer it in my own thoughts and opinions, and that's just what that is, just my own thoughts and opinions. I'm not giving a private therapy or a counseling session on this one. So for you other listeners out there, I'm sure that you're going to have your own opinions and your thoughts on what I say, and that's great because we need to contemplate some aspects around family dramas, expectations, standing up for ourselves, making decisions from the heart, all of that stuff. So here we go. A question from Claudia from Michigan. Hi, Prepo. First of all, I just wanted to say thank you for your show. I have been a religious listener almost since the beginning, and I've actually been putting into practice some of the things I've learned, uh, mainly around appreciations, which it wasn't a concept that I was familiar with until I started listening to your show. So thank you for that. I have a question. My fiance and I are getting married next fall, and we pretty much have the guest list all together, but I'm kind of torn over that, which in reflection is interesting to me personally, because I generally don't (laughs) concern myself with what other people think about how I live my life and the decisions I make. But I'm, I'm torn about this. I really don't want to invite the majority of my family, um, aunts, uncles, cousins. We're not close to them at all. We are pretty close to some of them, but the majority of them, both my fiance and I, We just have a difficult time getting along with them. Um, But but the problem I'm having is this. I don't want to cause any more derision in the family than there actually is. Um, One thing I notice about my mom's family is that they focus on the family bond, which to be completely honest, I have a difficult time seeing. But I know that if I invite some of the aunts and uncles, the ones that we're close to, and I don't invite the others, there's going to be a lot of grudges and they're going to take it out, especially on my mom. And I don't care (laughs) if they don't like me for that. But I'm struggling with this decision. My fiance is of the opinion that we just bite the bullet and invite only aunts and uncles, and then no cousins. But I really just want people at my wedding who love and care about us, and who we love, and who we care about. And to me, quite frankly, that is only some of my aunts and uncles. And I really don't want to invite the others, but I'm struggling because I don't want to cause any more derision in the family. So thank you so much for taking this question. And I really look forward to hearing what you have to say. 
and I look forward to your insight. Thanks again, Prepo. Bye-bye. Thanks, Claudia. That is a really good question. It's a challenging one. First, I want to say congratulations for your upcoming wedding. And I know that weddings inherently have their stresses and all kinds of planning. And I hear that this is an added stress for you. And that you say that you don't care about other people's expectations. But this one has a little bit in that because you don't want to hurt your mother. And there's probably expectations that she doesn't want you to hurt her or cause some more family strife, as you say, derisions. But I'll come out and just say this a little strongly, that uh, you getting married is not about protecting your mother. And that uh, remember to keep the focus of why you have chosen to have this joyous celebration, to share in the joy of your marriage with your partner and with people, like you said, who you love and care about and who love and care about you. So that's what I would really put as an emphasis about you want this day to be full of love and care. And this is your day. This is the one day that you will only have in this experience of the marriage to your partner. So it is a decision that you have to fully embrace and fully, in some way, take accountability in your decision. And as always, you can't control other people or their behavior. You say that these aunts and uncles don't treat your mother well. You're not going to be able to change that. You're not going to be able to control their behavior. So the one control that you have is taking the responsibility for your decisions and your reactions. So if not inviting these family members feels, let's say, like the best solution for a toxic situation, then that might be standing up for yourself, standing in your heart, in what you believe. Because as you said earlier, you do not resonate with these family members. And it sounds like a grounded part of yourself does not, of course, want them there. But when we are accountable for making decisions to stand up for ourselves, we may hurt other people. So, like you said, your mother may be hurt. Other people might be hurt in that situation, the people that you're not inviting, and even other people who think that you should make certain decisions. And again, here's the challenge. Do we make decisions based on what other people feel comfortable with? Other people's expectations? This is your special day, you know, and almost with your partner, you're kind of putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is what we stand for. You're going to be exchanging vows. You're going to be making this kind of public declaration to people of what it is that you stand for in your union together. And I would say having this dilemma 
of trying to decide what feels right and who you invite or not is also part of this declaration as a couple. And I absolutely have no judgments of people that would make another decision to, let's say, not rock the boat, to just invite the people and kind of just get over it. That's absolutely one avenue to take. But I also believe that if there's something deep inside that's kind of gnawing at you, that if you would fast forward your life in the future, how would you feel about making this decision? You know, I have a little bit of a philosophy that I believe that we surpass our parents' ability to put up our boundaries, that each generation gets better and better at putting up boundaries. And if there is a family drama legacy that continues, then we have influence of how that continues. So if you put up a boundary, and let's say do not invite your aunts and uncles, that's a shift in the family legacy that perhaps your future kids will also feel like this boundary was also put up. If you don't and just allow it to happen, then in some form that energy can possibly be passed down to your kids and the difficulty of working with let's say, this part of the family drama legacy also. So in other words, our decisions also get passed down to how our kids are going to have to deal with our decisions and how they're going to have to put up boundaries. It's especially difficult, let's say, to change our family DNA. Our DNA around family communication, family dramas, family dysfunctions. So one way that I like to sit in quiet and contemplation and meditation is to fast forward myself into the future to look to see how would I feel if I can embody that feeling of making a decision in the present and see how I would feel in the future of looking back on that decision. So in this instance, you know, there's always a possibility that, let's say, Claudia, that you do invite those family members that you don't want to. And let's say they create a scene at the wedding and hurt your mom, hurt her feelings like they may have did something in the past. And now, therefore, that story about how they hurt your mom may become attached to your wedding story in the future and the future telling about your wedding. And let's say you might get children in the future and they hear about your wedding story and the story that they will hear about is more about this scene, about your mother being hurt by this drama. And most likely you're going to also tell them that you regret that you invited them so what are they learning from this family story? So in this scenario, perhaps you did something against your own good judgment and invited some people you didn't really want there. 
And instead of passing on a story about, let's say, standing up for yourself and strong boundaries, then therefore there could be this scenario that you're continuing a family pattern. I'm just saying this is one avenue that's a possibility. There's also the possibility that not inviting them, of course, can create a drama at the wedding for other people, but you're putting up a boundary and doing what's best for you. And again, you can't control how other people interpret your decisions. And of course, there could be that other scenario that you do decide to invite them and it just is handled and that you compartmentalize and not really focus on them that they're there, even though that you don't want them there, that you only focus on the people that you love and that you care about and that you only interact with those people so you feel more authentic. So there's many avenues. Those are just a couple examples of what kinds of decisions can come out of it. I just think that we have to be conscious of making our decisions that are motivated by the fear of not matching others' expectations. And it takes a lot of courage to confront that fear because I believe that courage is not the absence of fear, but actually being with the fear and deciding something else is more important than staying in the fear. And you know, one aspect of standing up for ourselves in this particular example might be if your mother is going to, let's say, get some flack from her relatives or brothers and sisters, your aunts and uncles that you decide not to invite, if you do, is to really stand in your decision, to tell your mother to let them address you, that she doesn't have to answer it that you will answer it and that you could say something to the effect to them, I am not comfortable having you attend our wedding. I'm sorry, but my decision has been made. Again, in past podcasts, I talked about boundaries with a no. We don't have to explain our no's. You don't have to go into a big story about why you're not inviting these aunts and uncles and cousins. It is your decision and you can just say it. You can say, I understand that, that people will be upset and this might be upsetting to you, but I've made this difficult decision to not invite them to my wedding. Or if you speak directly to them, to not invite you to my wedding. I'm just not comfortable with having them there, which is the truth to you. You can tell other people or them directly, that it's hard for you to talk about this decision and the reasons behind this decision, that they're painful and that you gave it a lot of thought, that it's, a, it's emotional for you. But at this point, your decision has been made and that um, you're, you're done. You're not gonna talk about it anymore. That way you don't have to go into fueling the drama and feeding it and having people have all these discussions around it. So all of you out there, I know that you have your own family dramas and things have come up, how you handle it and so forth. But I do believe that when we do make a decision 
and we are making a decision that we think that's best for us, we don't have to explain it. You know, it's our decision. You know, I came across a quote, and I'm not going to tell you who it is until the very end, but I really like this quote. And it says, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. This quote is by Steve Jobs. And I'll tell you, I've never thought about quoting Steve Jobs before. And when I found this quote, this is a really cool story. When I found this quote, I was contemplating whether to use it. And I was telling my wife this. And I wanted to find another quote. And I was scrolling through my phone and I came across a post from somebody else. And the very first sentence was, I never thought I would be quoting Steve Jobs. And this person quoted another quote of Steve Jobs. But when I read that, that was confirmation for me. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to quote this quote from Steve Jobs. I also heard somebody say one time, you know, the tombstone on the cemetery, our headstone when we die, it usually has the birth date dash the death date. And I heard somebody say, how are you going to live your dash? That's your dash, right? All that time in between is your life. How are you going to live that? And that's also based on the decisions that we make that's true to us and true to our heart. And I get it. We don't want to intentionally hurt other people. But making our own decisions that are based, that we believe is best in our heart for our lives, usually in the long run is going to be best for other people because one, our subconscious is not going to be pushing us by having anger and resentment. That's one way to know that we're not making a decision that's best for us. If we have anger and resentment that comes up, that's our subconscious that's telling us that we probably needed to make a different decision. And I mean anger and resentment that we will have and regrets to ourselves. You know, making decisions also from our gut and from our feeling, mm, that's a challenge, you know. But it is good to use our feelings as a guide. I'm not suggesting that you live in the world on your own to minimize external influences, but I do know there is a way we can listen to our gut and our gut feelings and align our beliefs and our values to match them. So I think it's really good to ask ourselves if things are coming from the external, from other people's opinions or the motivation to not hurt other people, does this match my feelings? Does this match what I believe? Does it feel right to me? Those are very important questions to ask ourselves. And 
deep down we all know that when we don't make, when we give others power over ourselves, then we're actually almost handing our heart on a silver platter to somebody. He's saying like, here it is, do whatever you want with it. Instead of feeling that true empowerment of making a decision that's aligned with our heart. And you know, by giving others the power over your decision-making, in some way, you're not working your desire and your wanting muscle. You know, decision-making is, is a important mental function and we have to exercise that muscle. Um, it needs to be strong. It needs to be flexible. It needs to be free and it needs to be outside of other people's expectations. And I think a lot of family drama is around not really standing in heart space. You know, there's ways to also really stand inside our own decision and our own alignment and not lose sight of other people's experience and compassion for them and also the love for them, but we don't have to be pulled, right, in other family members' energies. We can stay differentiated in our decisions. Yeah. Family relationships are some of the most difficult relationships that we are going to navigate. So Claudia, I wish you lots of luck in making this decision. And again, have compassion for yourself in whatever decision that you make. Make sure that all the love that you want for people to have for you and for you to feel on that day that you also give to yourself around this decision. So before I bring on my wife and we discuss some of family dramas and how we handled that early on in our relationship, I want to quote a few things from a blog by Paula Jones, Breaking Free from Your Family Expectations. And this stood out for me. Standing up for yourself isn't an easy process. It's especially hard when you're trying to build a life for yourself that you actually love, because that's the time when you most need support. Family often has no clue of the ties and change they've placed on you. Therefore, it's important to come from a loving place when standing your ground and claiming your life. They don't know what they're doing. Would you punish them for that? I wouldn't. I didn't. I chose to love them anyways, no matter what. The same way I desire to be loved, no matter what. So, babe, thanks for joining me with this part, this segment, because uh, I want to make sure that I'm getting our stories right. Mm-hmm, yes. Because <laughs> you got a good way of uh, making sure that I'm on track and, and representing us the right way. Well, I have my way of looking at things. <laughs> <laughs> so we had our own history of some family dramas around, also around our wedding and uh, rituals. That happened early on in our relationship when we were just about a year 
or so into the relationship? Yeah, it, it was when I first came to visit your family. We were having an engagement party there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was the very first time that you were meeting them. And uh, my mom threw an engagement party so that people could meet you and also congratulate us. And she and probably some other family members uh, wanted us to get married in a synagogue, even though I am not was not a practicing Jew, but my family really wanted that. They were, and uh, especially my mom and grandparents. So she wanted us to uh, meet the rabbi, to talk to the rabbi. Yeah, and my gosh, I had just met your family on that <laughs> visit there. I'm not from a Jewish background. I'm not even from any religious background in Denmark. And you're not even an American, so that was another one. Mm-hmm. Didn't even think I needed to get married. Mm. But here we were being engaged and talking about getting married. So your mom suggested that we should go talk to a rabbi. Hey, wait a second. Let me go back to that, that, that part where you said not thinking that, you, that we wanted to get married, but you wanted to marry me when I asked you, didn't, didn't you? Oh, yeah. There was no doubt in me. Okay. But, I mean, I had never just thought I would get married. Hmm. Yeah. And living in Denmark, it wasn't so important to get married. Could mm-hmm. just live together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my mom set us up that meeting with the rabbi. Yeah. And being a nice person who have just met my coming mother-in-law, I said, yes, we will go talk to him. Yeah. So we did, and we presented to him, and basically that we were doing it to please the uh, American family, my family, to get married in a synagogue. And then we were going to some months later or so forth. Yeah, and, and I said, and my plan was to also please my family by getting married in Denmark in a church there because that's so romantic and they would like that. And we thought it was too complicated to get the two families to cross the Atlantic Ocean to to meet for one wedding. So we might as well make two weddings mm-hmm. in each country. Yeah. So we told the rabbi that. Yeah, and he was kind of taken aback and said, well, if you're not really engaged in the idea and the decision to get married in a synagogue, you shouldn't, that if you're not uh, doing it for the religious reasons and the ritual that you want and only doing it for your family, then his advice was that we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't get married in a synagogue. And I was relieved, actually. I was like, yeah, well, great. So I, was, I wanted him to tell my mother. <laughs> but instead, when we told my mother, she I think she was aback, and she probably was pissed off at the rabbi that, that he said that. But She took it really well. Yeah, she accepted it. Finally sunk in and really made sense to her that we needed to establish that uh, we were making the decisions for ourselves. And I think that was a really pivotal turning point that we decided no, we're going to do this for us. So we decided to to do it a little different. Yeah, and we were following our hearts, and we were speaking honestly to the rabbi and got a good answer back there. And then after that conversation with him, we were also like, hmm, but why have a church wedding in Denmark either? Mm-hmm. It's like, let's just do it more simple. 
Just do it ourselves. Yeah, but we didn't tell my family at that time. We weren't going to tell them we were doing it ourselves. That percolated when we got back and we it moved was to a come. process. It was a yeah. process. So when we decided, maybe about six months later, was it six months? October to February, whatever, four months or we decided to marry ourselves. We were going to make the ritual and go out in nature and marry ourselves. Yeah, we lived in Colorado and Boulder up in the mountains. So um, we got permission to get on some acquaintances' land and um, go in there and find a good spot for ourselves and do it. But earlier in that day, we did it the legal way. We went down to the city of Hall and did a quick kind of legal marriage with uh, a judge so we could have that. And then in the afternoon, we were the only ones there, the only ones present. We made a very ritualistic ceremony. And I think that that really stated to me that we were taking our stand of, we're doing this for us. This is about us. Even though it would have been nice to perhaps have witnesses, and I don't judge anybody for making the decisions of what kind of wedding that they wanted. But for us, we were constantly making decisions that we felt was good for us. And mm -hmm. this was a big stake in the ground in that way. It was a natural unfoldment for us. We didn't even plan their ceremony very much. We just improvised and grabbed some things with us towards where we would do it and just began doing it. Yeah, it was just very, very powerful. And uh, didn't have a party. It was just you and I. We went out to dinner afterwards. But we did call our families that day and, and told them, and they were very congratulatory. But probably they were disappointed, I'm sure, of not sharing that with us. But again, you know, it was, I am so glad that we did that and the vows that we chose to exchange. Yeah, I think that making this improvised ceremony together, none of us was used to do ceremony or ritual or anything and we just did it, and it kind of set the tone between you and I for the rest of our lives together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not to just go ahead and do things that other people just want, especially if it's a compromise for us. And even though that could create some family drama, like it did some months later when Xander was born, and there were some expectations around uh, his birth, yeah, that was just six months after we had married ourselves that I gave birth to Sander out in the mountains. And I think you had hoped it was going to be a girl. <laughs> yeah, I did. And the reason was that my, I'll just say my mother was really putting some pressure and, and expected us to have what's called a bris. And that's a Jewish ritual of circumcision for a male boy. So we didn't know what sex the baby was, but my mother was uh, anticipating that within eight days of the birth, she was going to come out if it was a boy and we were going to do a bris. First of all, you didn't even want anybody out for weeks and weeks and weeks after the birth. You just wanted to cocoon. But here I had to make the decision. I never thought about it until we started going to birthing classes. Mm -hmm, yeah, and there we got to see uh, videos on how they circumcise little boys at hospitals. And we were appalled at the suffering inflicted on those little babies. It was challenging. And again, I'm not judging anybody that makes those decisions. It was 
for us. And I gathered that kind of information and uh, witnessed some of those videos. And I was hoping that I didn't have to make the decision because, boy, that was re- that would be really going against a, a ritual for for my family. So what did you tell me? Yeah, I respected that you grew up with that background. So I said to you that if this is meaningful to you and you really want this to happen, then we will do it. Yeah. But I need your answer to come from your heart. So I need you really to think deeply about this. Yeah. And uh, I did. It was after the birth that I did that because... Days coming up to the birth, I I hate to say this, but there was part of me that was saying, come on, girl, come on, girl. I, I wanted to kind of weasel out of it by default. So I know that there was part of me that was uh, chickening out in that way of that I didn't have to make the decision. But lo and behold, when he was born, dropped in my hands, and I looked and I went, yep. I got to make that decision. It's going to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. So what was beautiful, you told me to do it my way. And what I did was I climbed a mountain, a big mountain that was by us. It was like a four-hour trek. And I got up to this mountain and there was nobody around. And I just needed to ask my guides. I needed to ask Spirit for help in making the decision. And I was meditating for some time. And then this hawk appeared. And it was in the distance. And it was just going around and around in a circle in front of me. And then it came closer to me. I don't know, maybe a couple hundred yards away. And just stood there. Just was He was still in flight. So he must have hit like a thermal, they call it, to just float. And there was just just this like energy bow that was around him. And all that I was feeling was this overwhelming truth that I couldn't make the decision of having a circumcision, that uh, my answer was no. And I felt so aligned when I made that decision within myself, that energy bow around the hawk got larger and pulsated and some colors around it and I knew I made the right decision and uh, came down from the mountain as they say with now my power animal the hawk has has been my power animal ever since to get wisdom from to be able to see because that was a thing about a hawk the bird of prey can see so well right and that would enable me to really see clearly of the decision that I had to make Mm-hmm. And I came down to you. Yeah, and you came into the bedroom where me and Sainda was, and I could just see this strong energy emanating from you, and you had taken your decision, and I didn't even need to ask you, but I did anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I was always wondering, like, if I did say yes, like, would you stop it? Would you have, like, said at the last moment, no, I'm not going along with it? Yeah, that's a thing, lovey. If you had said yes, then that would have forced me to go in and ask my heart one more time if I really could allow you to take the decision. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the first step for me was that I needed you to go come back with an authentic answer. Yeah. 
And then I was going to take my decision based on that. That was so smart of you to do that because I really needed to to be in my truth and, again, to stand up to family obligations, family expectations. And um, there was drama after that because I told my mother on the phone, nope, we're not doing it. And, and she was not happy. She was upset. She was yelling. And I know, Mom, if you're listening, I do remember that. I'm not holding it against you. I understand. I understand that it was something that was totally out of your reality and that uh, you weren't going to be coming out for weeks and weeks and weeks after that. And, uh, and you felt uh, pushed out. And I can understand that. But I had to take my my stance to protect my family and do what was right for us. Mm-hmm. We thought it was a very sacred time right around birth, right after birth, and we just needed to be there mm-hmm. with our baby and this sense of have just become a family yeah. and get used to that. Yeah, yeah. it took a while for for you to feel comfortable to have other people come and in the house, that sacred space, I think it was many weeks after that before uh, I know my mother came or before my, my sister came, mm-hmm. your sister. Your sister was already there because she well, was she there was the a birth, birth helper yeah, yeah, which was great. with the midwives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there was our story of uh, around that time of standing up for what we believed and setting precedences for our, um, for our truth and sitting in it. I mean, even to the effect was uh, after Xander was born six months, we came to introduce Xander to my family in Detroit. And uh, for the party uh, that had my mother's family and her friends and and um, some of my father was, uh, he passed uh, some years before and some of his family was coming and also some of my friends. And at that time, in another podcast, I talked about how I was experimenting with my clothes and you were a wonderful instigator and conduit to that by making me clothes and beautiful artistic clothes. Well, you were asking me to. <laughs> it wasn't that I say, here, I'm going to change your style. No, but you, you were inspired it. by me and you asked me to make clothes to you. Yeah. And you suggested some cool things like prince like clothes. Okay. Like we're talking folks like Aladdin type prints like clothes so for this party you made me this red fuchsia velvet baggy pants that had a sarong type in the middle uh matching red fuchsia long sleeve top long sleeve kind of like vest with a prince like red fuchsia velvet hat Mm -hmm. and the cool part about it you made an exact replica for Xander, six-month-year-old little mm-hmm. boy. You were so cute. Yeah. And you were, we were beaming. We were cool. Oh, I had some really cool homemade moccasins on. And, oh, uh, yeah. And here we come, me and Xander. I was holding Xander, walking down the stairs to this party. And I could see my family's face. <laughs> they froze with their mouths open when they saw when they you saw, and it was like, Yeah, it was like a, a moment in a movie where, you know, the, the music freezes and everybody drops and <laughs> people stop eating and, and taking a, a sip of their glass. But to everybody's credit, nobody said shit. They didn't, like, make bad comments or, or anything. And uh, But I know that they were shocked. 
So that was another statement that I think I was really putting out again, you know, I was kind of rebellion and a little instigator about like, this is my life and this is how I'm going to do it. And, and this is my style. This from is my now style. On. I changed the style over the years. Once I wore, once in a while, I wear my prince like clothes. But yeah, I think that was a big one again around not giving in to uh, family's expectations or pleasing them to make them more comfortable. Because uh, I can look back upon that that party and that, and I feel really good about making that decision, even though it made people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Because we dressed in what was comfortable to us. And we dressed very uniquely. It was all handmade by me. Yeah, right. So we wanted to be in our own skin, so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just walk our authenticity. Yeah. That set precedence for many other things, of course. I mentioned it many times on the podcast, but when, when our uh, baby girl, some... How many years later? Four when years Saint later. Was three. Yeah, three or four years later, when she died in birth, we did a ritual where we buried her on our property, and we did it um, our way to maybe some puzzlement of some people the way that we did it, and how we handled her, her body, and bringing her home, and doing some some things, and and uh, but that the, all of that set precedence. I think the more that we made decisions that were aligned and right from our heart, it was easier and easier to make those decisions. And the decisions became, to me, louder and louder of what was true and that I didn't have to constantly weigh other people's desires or needs or obligations. I gotta let them have their experience and work with their own disappointments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we didn't want her buried in a graveyard far away. And we got our neighbor's permission and blessing to bury her on our common land here. So uh, mm-hmm. that's what we did. And the neighbors came together and helped duck the grave for us. And we performed the whole ceremony ourselves for mm-hmm. all the friends and neighbors that showed up. I think there were 30 people showing up, circling around us, supporting us in that process. So it turned out to be very beautiful. Mm. and very empowering in the midst of the shock and the grieving. Yeah. And we didn't have uh, family around at that time. My sister came a little bit later. They couldn't um, fly in that fast. Right, that's Since true. she had to be buried yeah. a few days later. Yeah, yeah. And in some way, we, you know, I didn't want to have to deal with also other aspects of some family drama if that came up around there. I wanted to do it our way. And uh, that was really clear from based on making the efficacy decisions of those decisions that we just told you about the, the year before. I think that's very important for people to be able to be on that pathway to making aligned decisions that they can go back from years in the future and look back and really feel good that they made aligned decisions, even if it caused maybe some strife for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I am sure that we hurt feelings both in your family and my family about several of these decisions and and these uh, events that we have just shared here. And they also recovered and and were okay. Mm -hmm. But it also really strengthened our relationship, you know, that we could count on each other to help process what our truth was and to stand by that if we were aligned with those decisions, it was the best for us and our family. 
and that I believe that it was passed down almost genetically or even energetically to our son to make those aligned decisions uh, for his future and his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were just following our hearts and thereby making family legacy for the future. It wasn't something we thought a lot about, but it was more like we felt into our hearts and um, we co-created together what this family was going to be about mm-hmm. and passed it on to Xander. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we still do that in ways of making our decisions. So I really want to thank you for helping me find my truth. And that's how you've been such a beautiful and supportive partner in really helping me find my truth in different ways to sink into how to hear my inner voice, whether it's through certain rituals or certain writings, meditations that um, is my own, but you help instigate it and that you really support my decisions when you know it's coming from that place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if I can feel that you're not really sure about your decision and that I always suggest that go for a walk in nature or sleep on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also you, you process it with me. And so I get to hear reflections back from you and you validate and acknowledge where I'm coming from. But sometimes you give a different perspective for me to think about and feel about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. First of all, we sit down with eye contact and talk about it. And then we take a walk together as well to Mm. further talk about it. And then we most likely have clarity by then, but else another night's sleep will do it. Mm -hmm. And even when we have trouble, we might disagree because there are times definitely when we do disagree about a decision, but usually that's when we're not really, I know for me, when I'm not really sunk into uh, being present and calm and that the decision is really coming from my inner self instead of maybe a a quick thought process or out of fear, making a decision out of fear. That's usually when we don't align. But when we do, man, it is a wonderful, wonderful process. So I want to thank you so much for being my partner on that venture of uh, making partner life decisions that we both live by. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a very interesting process living my life with you. Mm -hmm. So thank you too. Yeah. Well, I look forward to making many more decisions with you and I know we got them because uh, they're coming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's life. That's life. Thanks for the life, babe. Yeah. Thank you too. Mm -hmm. I love you, sweetie. I love you. Relationships. Let's talk about it is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting, PC, of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit heartsharecounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by Oxbus. You can create your own professional podcast today faster and easier. Try it for free at oxbus.com. That's A-U-X-B-U-S dot com. Oxbus. Oxbus.